0: Hello, this is Erwin Raphael McManus. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. One of the great advantages of living for six decades is that you get to see life played out. You get to see theories and ideologies, philosophies, beliefs, played out in real life over a significant amount of time. And one of the things that has really uh, struck me over the years are, are how many people start so well and then their journey seems to end abruptly. I'm not talking about the end of their lives, but, but the end of their dreams, the end of their success, the end of their influence, the end of their credibility, because their life just fell apart. And, and one of the great challenges when you're a person of faith, when you're a follower of Jesus, is to try to understand what it means to be a disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus. And and in fact, probably one of the most uh, asked questions by people who have been Christians for a long time is, where do I go get discipled? Discipleship has probably been studied and dissected more than any concept around the Christian faith. And, And yet the reality is that the things we're oftentimes told to do, which are important, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in the scriptures, to spend time in church, to uh, spend your life in these particular disciplines you you find are are critical, but they're not necessarily the the essential ingredients that allow a person to, to sustain their journey for the long haul. I've seen people who pray and who read the Bible and who believe sincerely and who go to church crash and burn And one of the things that I've had to grapple with is that there are some essential practices inside of the lifestyles of women and men who who thrive, who develop resilience, who have the capacity not only just to start well, but to finish well. And and the concept that I want to unwrap for the next few sessions is is around the idea of self-mastery. Now, I know that self-mastery almost seems to, to sound as if it violates the the core of faith when we say that, well, no, we need to give Christ mastery over our lives. And so one of the great challenges as I've tried to to teach self-mastery is that that for many people who grow up with faith and who grow into faith, they've been taught that that anything connected to self is wrong. But the reality is that we understand the importance of self-mastery in every other arena of life except for our journey of faith. We we understand that if a person is going to become a a world-renowned artist or a world-renowned musician or a world-renowned athlete, that person has to have self-mastery. And we we see that play out over and over again where people with extraordinary talent never achieve their full potential because they lack the certain disciplines or internal structures that allow them to optimize their God-given potential, their God-given talent. And and yes, their god Given calling, and yet we never seem to break that down and and deal with it honestly when it comes to our own spiritual journey. I, I remember years ago I was in an Australia and I met this couple who whose daughter struggled with severe uh, hyperactivity and and severe attention deficit disorder and and struggling to know what to do with her. They finally put a cello in her hands. And all of a sudden, the cello became the the object of her, of her focus and of her compulsion, and that hyperactivity and that that attention deficit and that that um, even obsessive compulsive structure in her past personality began to play the cello seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day, and all she wanted to do was play the cello. When I met her, she was a world-renowned cellist, and and we we. we can see examples of this very thing where someone is able to take what we would consider dysfunction, someone who, who, who would be considered to be at a deficit, to be able to, to excel and to create something beautiful out of their lives, and yet just redirecting what would be seen as a dysfunction, with focus and intention and discipline, it becomes an art form. It becomes their expression of their greatest creativity and that becomes true in every discipline of life. You cannot become Picasso without Picasso's discipline as an artist or, and you cannot become Mozart without Mozart's discipline as a musician. You, you cannot become Kobe Bryant without Kobe Bryant's discipline as, as an athlete. And behind every expression of, of greatness, behind every expression of, of extraordinary talent, with behind every expression of genius, there is, there is discipline. There's self-discipline mastery. And yet when it comes to our spiritual journey, we act as if self-mastery is not only not necessary, but it, it's counter to, toward our spiritual journey. And so with, with our own spiritual journey, well, no, I just need to let God do it in my life. You know, I just need to surrender and submit myself to the, 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 the spirit of God or to the person of Jesus. And, and God is the one who's going to do it. And we would never talk like that about anything else in life. I mean, imagine if, if you found out that you had an aneurysm in your brain and you needed a neurosurgeon to to go into your head and pull out that aneurysm so that you could not only live, but not lose your mind. Yeah, I, I don't want to find a, a neurosurgeon who's actually never disciplined themselves to study neuroscience. I do not want someone who says, you know, I just sort of open up your brain and, and let the Holy Spirit guide me. I just wait, you know, for some inspiration or some, some esoteric, uh, uh, you know, flow in my life. I want someone who studied the brain and who compulsively disciplined their lives to understand how the brain works and how you can enter into this extraordinary complex mechanism known as the human mind and not destroy, but actually bring it to health. Why in the world would we think that the most significant aspect of who we are? the core essence of our being, our spirit, would require anything less than the highest level of self-mastery. So what I want to submit to you is that maybe it isn't that you're not sincere. It may be that you're not disciplined. It may not be that you you haven't tried to read the Bible and you, it's not that you didn't try to pray. It's not that you didn't try to go to church. It's not that you didn't try to, to do these things that, where you were told make you spiritual, move you to a spiritual maturity, it may be that you have lacked some basic structures in your life that would allow you to have self-mastery so that you can make the breakthroughs you need to live the life God created you to live. I think sometimes the, the metaphors, they, they, they betray us. It's, it's as if we're writing our own life until we give our life to Jesus, and then we hand the pen to Jesus, and we let him write the rest of our lives. And wouldn't that be beautiful? Because then we could abdicate all responsibility for our lives. But it doesn't work like that. Yes, you were writing your own life before you came to Jesus, and when you give your life to Jesus, maybe the most beautiful and sincere act we can ever engage in relationship to God is to give him that pen and say, God, write my life. Well, let me tell you what God does. He, he hands you the pen back. He says, no, you were created to write the story of your life. The pen is supposed to be in your hands. I'm going to teach you how to write the story of your life in a way where the story is written by the imagination of God. There is no level of spirituality where you will ever be allowed to abdicate responsibility for you. There is no level of spirituality where giving God ownership of your life allows you to no longer take ownership over your own life. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Ownership. Now, there are other dynamics I want us to unwrap over the the sessions to come, but today I want to talk to you about ownership. Because ownership is the beginning and end of your ability to create the life that you have longed for, to create the life that God created you to live. If you have an improper relationship with personal ownership, you will never be able to deal with whatever you face in the past, the challenges that you have in the present, and the dreams you want to create in the future. I want us to look together in Genesis chapter four. Now the story here, the backdrop is, it is the story of Abel and Cain, or Cain and Abel, two brothers who found themselves in conflict, not really with themselves or with, with each other, but with God. They were, they were instructed by God to bring an offering to him, and it tells us that that Abel brought the offering that God asked for, and, and Cain decided to go rogue and to take God an offering that was not what God asked for, but was an offering of his own imagination, of his own design. And God did not accept Cain's offering, and so in verse six, we be, we we pick up the conversation between God and Cain, and this is what happened. It says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face gloomy? If you do well, will your face not be cheerful? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. That, that, that moment to me is so critical because this is the first recorded moment after the life of Adam and Eve, after Adam and Eve decided to violate God's law and to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil after the fall, after they knew they were naked and ashamed. And now we have the story of how the consequences of Adam and Eve's choices would now affect the rest of humanity. And here you have Abel and Cain after the fall so we know that they're no longer a part of paradise. And, and I think a part of the confusion with so many people who, who try to be sincere followers of Jesus and understand the scriptures is that we've been taught that after the fall, we could no longer make a good choice. That after the fall, because everything went wrong and everything went bad, that now choice is in a sense out of our hands. But here what we find is God is having a conversation with Cain and letting him know Cain The decision is in your hands. You still have the power to choose. You not only have the power to choose what is wrong, but you have the power to choose what is right. You not only have the power to choose what will destroy, you have the power to choose what will create. You have the power to choose between good and evil. And I think this is so critical because there is never in the scriptures any place where the narrative of human choice is taken away from us. And in fact, what God says to him is so interesting. He says, Cain, don't you have the choice? If you do what is right, will you not be filled with joy? Will you you not once again be able to celebrate and enjoy life? And if you do not do what is right, he says, sin is, is lurking at your door and it desires to consume you, to take you, to overwhelm you, but you must master it. I love that that statement, but you must take mastery over your life. While I would love to take credit for the the concept of self-mastery, the idea of self-mastery is God's idea, not mine. God lays before Cain this intersection that this choice would affect all the choices in his life. Now, while we make thousands upon thousands of choices throughout our lives, not every choice in our life is the same. Not every choice in our lives has the same weight. Some choices have a greater impact on our lives. There are choices we make that affect every choice going forward. And that's the power of of even the choice of choosing Jesus. Because when you choose Jesus, when you give your life to him, that choice affects every choice in your life going forward. But in the same way, when we make a destructive choice, when we make a choice that that violates who God created us to be, that choice has consequence and has momentum. It has force, and it affects our future. And God says to Cain, it desire is for you. It's desire is for you, but you must master it. You must take mastery over your life. Where does mastery begin? Mastery begins with ownership. Mastery begins by taking responsibility for your life. I know that that for some, this is, this is, I think, a more complex process because who you are right now is in many ways the outcome of not choices that you've made alone, but choices other people have made. There are some of you listening right now and and your life has been devastated by choices someone else made. Choices that were made when you were young, choices that were made when you were innocent, choices that were made when you were fragile and vulnerable and, and the choices other people have made that impacted your life may have such a detrimental and destructive effect on you that you feel that your life is out of your control. And it can cause you to live your entire life with a sense of victimization that that it's not right and it's not fair. And let me tell you, it's not right and it's not fair. But it doesn't change the reality of what has happened. And what we have to embrace somewhere along the way as we live this life is that even if it's not your fault, it is your responsibility. Even if it's not my fault, it is my responsibility. And I know that's not fair. And I, and I, I know that it, it makes life unbalanced in the scale of what some people have to deal with and what others have to deal with. And, and some of you have to carry so much from your past, such wounding and, and, and perhaps even abuse and, and neglect and, and pain. And some of you may not even understand the full extent of it. You may not even remember what what happened in your life that created such hurt, such damage, such fear. But you feel paralyzed and, and you know that something is broken and shattered within you. And it doesn't help when someone says to you, I know it wasn't your fault, but it is your responsibility. But sometimes what you have to hear is the hard truth. You have to hear the hard truth that, that while someone else may have caused the damage in your life, only you can choose to move past the shrapnel of your past pain and hurt and wounding. And the beautiful thing about who Jesus is and about who God is in our life is that when we invite him into our life, he becomes the one who can heal the wounds that we cannot heal. He becomes the one who can repair what is broken within us that we cannot repair Ourselves, It is God who becomes the one who can move us out of our past into our future. But don't let that confuse you. That does not remove from you your ownership, your responsibility. Because even then, you have to choose to allow God to do that. Even then, you have to ask God to do that in your life. Even then, you have to go through the painful process of healing that God will send you through. Because I I wish that God used magic, but he doesn't. There is a difference between healing and magic. Magic makes it as if it never was, but healing deals with the truth of what is and makes you stronger in the midst of that pain. So even though it's not your fault, it is your responsibility. And in fact, the more you take responsibility for your life, the more you'll find the power to create the life you long for. And we see the shift in ownership from the very beginning all the way back to Adam and Eve. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to pick up in verse 6. This is after God has created man and woman. This is after they're in the garden, naked and unashamed. This is... Just after the the serpent comes and begins to have a conversation with the woman, and and begins to confuse her, and 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 to try to um, create in her a, a sense of uncertainty of, of of God's intention for them, and and he tries to try to almost blur her memory. It was so clear. You could eat of any tree. God was so. Clear in his instruction, you can eat of any tree in the garden. And and here, by the way, is the tree of life. This is the source of everything that is good and true and beautiful. And and, But I'm going to leave this tree here. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this tree, you you must not eat of this tree. Because if you eat the fruit of this tree, you will die. And we wonder, why would God do that? I've had so many people ask me, why would God leave that bad option there? It's because love demands freedom. You cannot have love without free will. And if man and woman did not have the the freedom to choose, they would not have the freedom to love and to trust and to be truly and fully alive. And so the beginning of the story always begins with God giving us the power to choose. Even though he created everything, he gave us the garden. He gave us earth. He told us to take responsibility for this planet, to be the stewards of it. He gave us ownership and responsibility for what he created. And then, of course, the serpent comes and convinces Eve to eat of the fruits. And, and so in verse six, it picks up here, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Now, we all know the story of Adam and Eve, and we're all too familiar with the narrative of the fall. But what I think is so fascinating here is that after they chose to eat from the fruit, when God begins to have a conversation with them, that the first thing they do, the first consequential act of severing their relationship with God was that they no longer took responsibility for their choices. God begins the conversation with the man and the man says to God, the woman you put here. So it's interesting. He's able to, to displace responsibility twice over. The man says, it was the woman, and you're the one who put her here. So if there's anyone responsible, it's the woman or you, God, but not me. And can you imagine being Eve now? You're naked and ashamed. You have one person to protect you. That's the man. Adam is supposed to love you more than life. His singular responsibility is to take care of you and to make sure that you're well. And now he throws you under the bus in front of God. And so then the woman is confronted by God. What is this thing you have done? And the woman says, it's the serpent that deceives me. And so the first thing that Adam does is he blames the woman and God. And now there's no one left in the characters of this moment. So the woman says, it was the serpent who deceived me. And I ate. And so she advocates responsibility. I think it's fascinating and absolutely critical to our understanding of our own lives to realize the first thing that the man and woman do after they make the worst decision of their lives was to stop taking responsibility for their lives and to begin to blame others for their choices. I always think it's interesting when you work with people and you begin to listen to their explanation of something that went wrong, of a failure or of a task that didn't go well or a project that, that failed at work. And, and when you begin to listen to them or even read the explanation of what happened, whether a person embraces responsibility or displaces blame is more important than even the failure of the project. You can know more about a person by how they explain how something happened than even by what happened. You can learn more about them in terms of how they negotiate failure and how they negotiate blame, than whether they succeed or whether they fail. And by the way, I began to wonder, after Eve ate the fruit, what would have happened if Adam had said no? What would have happened if Adam had said to her, what you did was devastating? but I have you. When God begins to have a conversation with us, I'm going to take responsibility. I shouldn't have allowed you to be in this place to make this choice this way. I should have been there for you. I should have talked you through this. I'm going to defend you and protect you. It it occurred to me that Adam could have become the savior of the world, that he could have changed the future of humanity in that moment, but instead he makes the wrong choice as well. And out of the wrong choices, instead of taking responsibility and ownership for their lives, they began to blame one another and blame others and and blame the world and the universe and God. and I wonder, who do you blame for your life? It's interesting to me how we're really fast to take credit for our successes. But very, very, very reticent and very slow to take responsibility for our failures. In, in, in the Spanish, one of the interesting things to me is that our language kind of betrays us. When something breaks, we say, Se rompió. We say, It broke. We don't say, I broke it. And, and I can tell you as a kid, when I would break things, Spanish was a better language. It broke. Yes. I was the only one in the room, but it broke. And I wonder how many times in our lives we've created a language of deflecting responsibility. And, and so the problem, though, is that sometimes there are people to blame. Well, my parents, they, 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 they were not there for me. They neglected me. They, 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 they didn't show me the love I needed. They didn't give me the guidance I needed. Or or my parents, they went through a divorce and that left me devastated. Or or, or my family didn't protect me and I went through through horrific pain or or isolation or even abuse. And, And the problem is that you can look back on your life and you can find people who deserve to be blamed. But what we don't understand is that as long as we blame someone else, not just for that act or that moment or that experience, but when we blame someone else for our lives, we are abdicating the power to change our lives. Whoever is responsible has the power to bring the change. And as long as you refuse to take ownership for your life right now, you will never take hold of the power to change your life right now. You need to take ownership of who you are and who you're becoming. I I don't care what has happened in the past or what the story is up to yesterday. From this moment, you need to take ownership for who you are and who you're becoming. Because let me tell you, no matter what has happened to you in your life and no matter what happens to you in your life, that will not have as much effect on who you are than how you respond to what has happened to you and what will happen to you. Your response to life has more power to shape who you are than what life can throw at you. So we've been in the middle of a pandemic. We, we've gone through a quarantine We've lost jobs, lost wealth, lost economy, lost stability, lost security. We've lost our, our peace of mind. We've lost so much in our lives. You can spend the days and weeks and months and years ahead blaming the world, the universe, God for what has happened in your life. Or you can step into this moment and say, nothing that comes at me will shape me more powerfully than how I respond to my circumstances. And that I have complete control over. Take ownership of your life and you will find the power to change your life. You have to take ownership of who you are and where you're going. You you have to take ownership of the choices you make and the consequence and benefits of those choices. One of the key characteristics I see of people who do not prevail, who do not have resilience, who do not end well, is that they do not take ownership over the choices and the consequence and benefits of those choices. Sometimes it can be small things. Like you ever found yourself like showing up late to work and you've been asked a thousand times before not to be late, but you're late again. And for, in your mind, it's out of your control. You got up, you got dressed, you, you got on the road and traffic was worse than you thought. There was an accident on, on, on the 4 or 5, or, or there was a buildup on the 10, or um, you know there was a detour, or something happened. And, and it, what's amazing to me is that people in LA seem shocked that there's bad traffic. Like If you've lived here more than two months, you cannot be surprised that what takes 10 minutes could take 45 minutes, and what takes 30 minutes could take two hours. The reality is that our circumstances are actually never the reason for our failures. It's our failure to choose well. Now, our circumstances can can cause all kinds of havoc on our life. It can cause your business to succeed or your your business to fail. You may not have any real um, control over what's happening in the market around you. You didn't know the market was gonna crash. You didn't know the housing market was gonna blow up. You didn't know the stock market was going to uh, fall apart. You didn't know all these different factors are gonna happen in the world around you. But that's not what God holds you responsible for. He holds you responsible for the choices you're making in the midst of all of that uncertainty and all that cannot be known. And so my question is, yes, the traffic in the world is unpredictable. But the question is, what choices are you making so that your circumstances are not always shaping your outcomes? What choices are you making so that you can have a greater impact on your circumstances and your circumstances have on you. The choices you make will create the future that you will live in. And, and by the way, there is no more spiritual act than to choose. When I was working years and years ago in uh, the inner city of, of Dallas, I, I had to deal with so much teenage pregnancy So many girls that were 15, 14, 16 years old getting pregnant. And it seemed almost as if every single one of them would say, I don't know how this happened to me. I said, I think you do know. In fact, you know way too much about how this happened to you. But the reality is that people disconnect their choices and their actions from their outcomes. Your outcomes are not the arena of prayer. Your actions are the arena of prayer. See, I think what happens a lot of times is that we want to ask God to change our outcomes without asking God to change our choices. If you're not willing to let God change how you choose, stop asking God to change the consequences of those choices. The real evidence of spiritual maturity is that you stop involving God in the consequence and you start involving God in the choices. Because it's in the choices where we have to have self-mastery. Instead of choosing the choice that is easy or making the choice that gives us temporary satisfaction or making the choice that, that wins for this moment or makes life easier in this moment or makes us more popular in this moment or makes us more successful in this moment or makes us more famous in this moment, make the choice where the moment doesn't steal your future but the moment actually creates the future you long for. And you need to take mastery over the influence that you have in the world around you. You can take responsibility for the choices you make and the impact it has on others. And I've always found that people who live the most foolish of lives, pretend that their lives have no effect on anyone except themselves. I cannot tell you how many times I would hear someone who was an alcoholic say, I'm not hurting anyone but myself. Someone who was addicted to drugs saying, I'm not hurting anyone but myself. And the reality is that our lives are interconnected and your choices always hurt someone else or help someone else. And when we take mastery, not only of who we are and who we're becoming, and we take mastery of our, of our choices and the outcomes of those choices, and we take a mastery over the influence and impact of our lives and others. When we take ownership over those things, that's when we begin living with at the highest level of self-mastery. So how much ownership do you have over your life right now? I want to challenge you to, to begin to, to look at the different arenas in your life. It could be your personal health. It could be your your, your growth goals for um for your your business, it could, it could be your your goals for your marriage, or or as a parent. It, it, look at every arena in your life: husband, father, business person, uh, mother, um, wife, uh, friend. Look at every aspect of your life, and, and and begin to identify all those areas in your life that are not an expression of who you want to be. I'm not I'm not in the in the shape I want to be. I'm I'm not in the physical health I want to be. Then. Ask yourself, what are the choices I need to make right now to take ownership in that area of my life? My relationship with my wife isn't the way it needs to be, or with my husband isn't the way it needs to be. So ask yourself, what are the choices I need to take ownership of right now to begin to make this relationship what I want it to be? My career is not moving in the direction I want it to go in, uh, or my dreams are uh, just letting them die at, uh, at the wayside, and I, I, I want my life to be different than, than right now. Ask yourself, what are the choices you need to make right now that reflect taking ownership over your life. In fact, if you want to be really courageous, look at everywhere in your life where you've allowed yourself to be a victim. Everywhere in your life where you've blamed someone else for your circumstance or situation. Everywhere in your life where you've blamed someone else from stealing from you your future or your opportunities. And instead of blaming someone else for the life you have, take ownership, and begin to step into the creation of a new life. Men and women who persevere, who show resilience, who aren't just great starters, but they're great finishers, who live a life full where they can look back on their lives and and know that they've lived the life they were created to live, without regret, they've taken ownership over their lives. They've stopped blaming others. And even when there are others to blame, they forgive because they want no one to have power over their life. Because as long as you do not forgive, as long as you hold on to bitterness, they still have power over you. And the powerful thing that happens when you finally choose to enter into a relationship with Jesus is that what you're saying to Jesus is, I'm giving no one else power over the creation of who I am except you, Jesus. I'm going to trust you with everything I am. I'm going to allow you to do a work in me that I cannot do for myself. And here's, the, I think, the most challenging part of this even as you move towards self-mastery, even as you take ownership of your life, when you take ownership of your life, that's when you finally realize, oh, I need God to really become the person I long to be, to really live the life I long to live, to step into a future that is greater than my wildest dreams or imagination. I cannot do this alone. I need God in my life. And that's where Jesus comes in. When I gave my life to Jesus, I did come to a place of profound surrender. I did completely and without reservation or hesitation say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm giving you all of me. I surrender my life, my hopes, my dreams, my future to you. I didn't know that when I surrendered everything to him, he would pick me back up and let me know, I created you to do this. Now that you've surrendered it all to me, I'm entrusting it back to you. Now take ownership for your life and start living. If you're listening to me right now, And you know that you need Jesus in your life. You know that you cannot do this life alone. I want to encourage you right now to cross the line of faith and to give your life to Jesus. I just want to lead you in a simple prayer where you can open up your life to Jesus and begin a new life with him. Would you pray with me right now? Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Take ownership of this moment. This choice is yours. No one else can make this choice for you. Right now, just tell them, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If you just prayed that prayer, this is the most important choice you will ever make. Today, you chose to step from death to life, to step into hope, and freedom, and joy, and into a future. In this moment, when you have given your life to Jesus, I want you to know that God himself has given his life to you and placed his life in you. Today is the beginning of a new future. And it begins by taking ownership. The choice you've just made changes everything. In our next session, we're gonna deal more deeply in how we can gain self-mastery in our life. But never forget, it begins and ends here. Take ownership of your life, and the self-mastery will begin. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible and creates life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading this message around the world by going to mosaic.org slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.